0: I hate uh disruptions. That's like that's probably not a good thing to say right off the start of the sermon, huh? okay? I hate disruptions. uh I'm not talking about the sermon though, or you know pointing somebody out if they get up or anything like that. <laughs> but uh I hate disruptions more in life in the average day of life um this past week. it seems uh, do you guys well one, I should ask, do you like disruptions? Yeah. Everybody probably. Is there anybody that just loves them? I love to get disrupted and, and interrupted. Um, this week was like that, and I try to discern a lot of times, especially with people coming in, should I take time or should I hide? Um, we don't have a secretary here. We, we may never. Um, we don't have the gatekeeper. We are the gatekeepers. But really, the locked door to the building is the gatekeeper. You have to find out where to get in, knock on that door and then hope that we have recognized you and come to the door to answer it. If you're going to come here to talk to one of the pastors, I know that sounds really horrible, but it's probably true. Like our windows are kind of cracked, we can see you get out. So if we don't answer the door and you see all the cars here, I'm sorry. I apologize up front. All right, what it'll damage it'll damage you internally, probably, your feelings. Uh, but honestly, we do we do respond. Um, just bang. So. I have to determine often, though, based upon my week and preparation and all the things that I feel I'm supposed to be doing, how do I want to engage in interruptions or disruptions to the average day Of my life, and so you all have them too. Because you work, or you have your kids at home, or whatever you're doing, you know whatever life looks like, you have to engage in those things as well. What it looks like in the store, or when you go someplace, or you know how you engage with people if you're working out, or if you're you know shopping, or or again whatever it looks like to you, um, because they they can really be just uh, very valuable and important. And almost sometimes miraculous or they can be horrible experiences that you should have said no or ran away from in the first place. Is that true? Right? And, and so we have to deal with that. Um, I'm trying to have a perspective that sometimes and often I need to engage what probably God has brought up. And other times I need to run away from maybe what the enemy has brought up. And to discern that at any given moment can be tough for a lot of us. This week was like that where I was just hunkered down. I'm ready to read a book. We're going to talk about the prophets today on the prophets. And I'm really excited about reading this one chapter in there because I was pumped about, I've never read this book. I've heard good things about it. It's a gigantic you know, volume. I got the little condensed version. I'm just all ready to do this. I settle in. My office is warm. I'm feeling good. I'm in my chair. And uh and somebody, it's not that I had to discern the door, like someone's knocking. Hey, Charles, you know, he's the new guy. He's the bottom of the, 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 the thing there, the kid's pastor, right? And so go answer the door. He'd already done that in the week, and it was one of those things that he should have hid. It, it, was, it, it was a nightmare, um, but he had to take care of it. That was awesome, all right? So, uh, but this person was at the door. And so I can't even hide. And um, he says, hey, do you got, I love this. We have all done this. You, do you got five minutes? Does that mean five minutes? When you say that to someone, does it mean five minutes? No. Okay, it's a lie, okay? <laughs> I do that to people all the time. Do you got a minute? That's No, you got a half hour is really what that probably means. At least. So I sit down and realize into it, five minutes needed to be 50 minutes, needed to be longer. Because there's moments when you need to discern, someone needs to talk, their heart is broken, and if we believe in what we believe in and what we have, then we need to listen. So there's my other part is I need to listen better. There's other times that disruptions are just disruptions and I need to say no because of some bigger story or bigger picture as well. You all probably have to discern that in some way. The prophets that we wanna talk about as we talk about the story of God are often disruptors to life. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we've been talking about the story of God. We got a few weeks left and we're trying to look at the big picture of things, kind of God's story from the 30,000 foot level to say he created life just as he intended it to be in creation. We talked about sin then and said sin has uh, you know, interrupted that, disrupted that sin, destroyed that relationship. But God came in with his covenant promises to say listen what i intended it to be i'm going to bring it back to that and so he did various things at times to engage in our lives encounter us to bring us back to him and he'll do it everything from again this covenant promise that he And then we walk through all the way to Jesus when really you could almost say the covenant promise shows up in the flesh on earth. And then a revelation will wrap up and say he's bringing it back to as he intended it to be. But we have glimpses of that constantly through scripture. So we talked about, um, you know, uh, priests and the tabernacle. And then Brent brought up kings and kingdom. All these things that God would do to kind of show up in our life to draw him and his his people back to him. Um, And yet we struggled with that. They were imperfect, yet good things from God. Kings, priests, good things, but imperfect. And ultimately, we're learning, too, that everything points to Jesus. The perfect, we'll we'll share this at the end. The perfect prophet, priest, and king showed up on earth 2,000-plus years ago, and he fulfills everything that was shown in there. It also showed us, and it has been showing us, and will show us again today, that our ways, even though God comes in that way, our ways are our ways are imperfect. The kings, even though God allowed them to pick a king because it's what they wanted, they weren't perfect. They were humans, and it ultimately showed us the king's not the answer. Right? Our leadership today. I love our country, but the leadership isn't the answer to restore God back to the human life as God intended it to be, if you didn't know that, all right? They can be good things we should pray for, lift up, right, locally, globally, nationally, but they are not the answer. God is the, I believe, God is the answer. Coming back to how he intended it to be, the priests, though great, God established them, they were not the answer The great priest Jesus is. And we'll see that in the prophets today as well. So we're looking at the story of God. Creation, covenant, God, we said, desires to personally and permanently dwell with his people. So we've seen this in all of scripture. And if you're here today and you are far from God, you, man, I, I, I pray as we said last week and we'll repeat it again today, come back to God you run from him, come back to God. He's compassionate, loving, has mercy for you. And I believe that he wants to personally and permanently dwell with you. And I believe Jesus is the answer for that. So whatever you've done, wherever you've been, the answer God always has for us is come back home. Come back to God. Yeah, but I, come back to God. But you don't know what I, come back to God. I believe that. I believe scripture teaches us that. Throughout the Bible, um, up until the arrival of Jesus, God, as I said, encounters his people, disrupts their lives, and he's constantly calling them back to him. He wants them to follow him. He wants to take care of their sin, and he loves them, but there's a problem. Now, Jeremiah, one of the many prophets, brings this up. There's many scriptures that say the same thing. It's verse 24 and 26. Um, it talks about, now we're, we're coming to this point before Christ where the prophets kind of were a big part of Israel and the people, and it says that he, he wants to do all this for his people, he wants them to come home, um, he has answers for them, he, he speaks to them through you know prophet, priest, king, and all the things that he does, but here's what happens, this happens many times in scripture, we read this and see it, but my people would not listen to me, they kept doing whatever they wanted. And it says, they followed their stubborn, the stubborn desires of their evil. They went backward instead of forward. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They've been stubborn and sinful even worse than their ancestors. Man, are we dealing with that thousands of years later? We are. That's ultimately my problem. God, in his creative way, compassionate way, sometimes very disruptive and, and, and struggle in and all that way, is constantly coming in saying, run, come back, run. And I oftentimes say, no, I want to do it my way. I want to do my own thing. He'll come in and say, here's the perfect way. I know it's tough. I know there's going to be suffering. I know there's struggle and times of joy and great. It, there's all this mixed in together. Man, come, let's do it my way. No, I, I kind of have a better plan, Lord. I think I know better because I've been reading a lot of books on how to succeed in life. I got this down now. I think I, I, think I, I got it. I don't know if you ever do that, deal with that. But it's, it's this problem, and it's been around for thousands of years. I'll even look to others, and really, ultimately, I'm placing them above God and saying, I think they got a great perspective. I should follow their plan because they're very successful, whatever you think success is. And so this is a struggle that's been going on. This is repeated over and over and over and over again, despite God, through his prophets and his people, coming in and saying, don't do this. Even when there's great punishment, even when there's great struggle, he always says, but if you listen to me and follow me, I am a God of great compassion, love, and mercy. Even in the depth of their sin. So even if you're here today or you know of someone that is super deep and you just want to give up on them, that's not God. That is man in our perspective. And you may have to have boundaries and step aside, but listen, God does not. And my answer to them would still be, come home. Stop doing it your way, do it God's way. But that's a choice that he's given us. So you have that choice. Now that happens today, even in, we could say, the New Testament, this comes up. This is 2 Peter 3, 2 through 4. I'll even read a little extra down um, from it. But Peter would write to the church, to people, he'd say, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago. So Peter shows up. During Jesus and after Jesus, he's still around when Jesus goes, you know, to heaven. Um, and uh, Peter writes these words. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior Jesus commanded through the apostles. So he's bringing up all this stuff. Remember all this that they said. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. There, he brings it even to the context of today. That's, that's We have that happening 2,000 years later, now today, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? People do that today in various forms. Not necessarily him coming back, they'll do that as well. But look, at this doesn't work. Look at what's happening in the world. Look at all this garbage going on. Look at all the struggle and suffering. Where is your God? And Peter addresses it and says, that's going to happen. Scoffers will come. They will mock us in what we believe. And they'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. God's been working his plan. It's the same. It's still going on. There's a lot. And so Peter even brings this up. He'll go on to say down a little bit in these same, the same chapter, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, when people say, Hey, where is your God? He hasn't shown up. He's taken a long time. He's never coming back. And Peter writes and says, A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. Here's the key little part to that. No, he is being patient. Why? For your sake. He's being patient, says he does not want anyone to be destroyed. But wants everyone to repent. So there's an element there that I almost need to say, Thank you, God. For you desire to personally and permanently, and you have from the beginning of time, dwell with your people. You have a big, giant story. Your time is different than mine. Thousand years like a day, day like a thousand years. It's just different. He sees something that I am not capable of seeing. And he says in it, I'm patient, unlike man. Why? Because I want that relationship restored as it should be. So I am patient because I want them to come home. I don't know when he's coming back. The Bible says it's like a thief in the night, he could come back tomorrow, really, or thousands of years from now for all I know. But I live like he's coming back. Today. So that makes me evaluate constantly my life and where I'm at and what's going on. That's why it's important. So here's one little thought. We'll kind of maybe see this idea through it. That's why it's important, we'll see in Scripture, to watch out. The Bible says Peter brings it up for false prophets. For there are many today that come in the name of even God that say this and that and get us all sidetracked from what his word teaches us about him. So thousands of years ago, the prophets came on board, and they were certain things. Let me walk through a few things with you that they were. We see the prophets in God's story, had their place in time. We're not going to talk about are there modern-day prophets today. Um, that's a whole nother probably series to talk about. But prophet, prophets were this. One, they were covenant watchdogs. So one of the things that a prophet would do, and there's elements of that today, and we'll see that in the life of Jesus They're covenant watchdogs. Prophets would speak to and talk to uh, the promises of God. So in your notes there, you'll see they were to watch over the covenant of God. So constantly, one of the things that we'll see them do to the people thousands of years ago, but also still today through, through the word, because Peter wrote in there, listen to what the prophet said. He pointed us back to what these promises were. Because these men and women were covenant watchdogs. We are here to oversee the covenant of God, to remind people what God promised. They speak to, they stand upon it. One of the things that I read, I don't know who said it. It's a quote from them. It's one of the the commentaries or books that I read. I just can't remember where I I read it at. But it said, "Prophets, prophets were often more concerned with faithfulness to God's promises than the development of new paradigms. So a lot of times, the prophets, what they're doing is not trying to start something new. They're not creating new theology. That's one of the things that you can watch out with false prophets. As a prophet, if there was some today, are they referring back to the covenant of God or are they just creating a whole new theology? So sometimes even with, you could say false teachers, false prophets, false priests, call them whatever you want. Just false is the key word. Are they trying to create some whole new theology and paradigm or ultimately are they pointing us back to the great covenant of God? That's a great way to think about it. So oftentimes the prophets are doing that because a lot of times we only think of, when we say prophet, we think that they foretell the future. There's a part of that in scripture But most of the time, they're addressing some immediate need. And so they're covenant watchdogs. They're going to oversee the covenant of God. Two, uh, you'll see in your notes, they were a voice from God to man. Priests, man to God. Kings, kind of in between, just kind of teaching the people how to live for God. That's what they were supposed to do. Prophets, they spoke from God to man. Again, that's why we got to be so concerned with false prophets who speak to really what the people want to hear, not what God is actually saying. So these prophets would speak from God to man. Um, and here's one of the things that I really was challenged with as one of the leaders of the church. So often, because I've just been reading through Isaiah and Jeremiah not just for preparation for this, but just in a chunk of my Bible reading. And it's heavy stuff. Sometimes you don't even want to read it because it's a little depressing, discouraging, and, and pretty hardcore. And they did a bunch of crazy things. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, um, you know, I don't want to wake up one day and feel that God told me to walk around town naked for three years. That's what one of them did. And you wouldn't like that either, right? In fact, I'd probably be locked up, arrested and locked up for a long time. I wonder what that would look like today, but... Although we engage with that on the property quite often. Uh, You'd be shocked and surprised. Uh, Even this week, I had an encounter with the guy. Um, He wasn't naked. I don't know if that's what you had in your mind, but... And it wasn't me, so... But one of the things that challenged me, and I think it's good for the leadership today, so elders, pastors, um, for any church and specifically here at Journey, often the prophets weren't just speaking to the people, but often the prophets were speaking to the leaders. Because then the leaders were supposed to act like what the prophets were saying, and then visually show the people how to live that way by the way they lived. So there's a lot of responsibility there. Because the prophets would come in and talk to the king directly. Many of them had great respect of the kings, even though they didn't agree with them. Sometimes so much so that they, I don't know, like, I think it was Elijah, one of them, like, this one king hated him. So there was another king that came in and said, Hey, what did Elijah say? And the, the other king's like, I don't want to talk to that dude. He always says bad stuff about me. <laughs> so they, no, I want to hear what he says to say. It was this whole, there's a great story there, but I don't want to get sidetracked. But so often, the prophets would speak to the leaders, and then the leaders were to lead the people. And I thought that was really great for me to be challenged by that, so that when I read God's Word, I don't think of it as something you're supposed to do, it's something I'm supposed to do, and how I'm supposed to live my life in light of that. So they were a voice from God to man. Let me run through some things, and you got a little spot on your notes that says a voice too." just write down what you thought, we'll come back to that in a little bit with Jesus, but one of the things that they were a voice to was a voice to what God was thinking and feeling. So one of the things that the prophets would do, and now the word of God does it for us today, is you can know God and what he thinks and feels by reading his word. Because you have what the prophets spoke. So we have a God who feels, who thinks. And if you go, I don't know that God, then I'd go read his word. It's all in there. The prophets are heavy to wade through, but it's worth it because you get to understand God a little more, what he thinks and feels, and that's a big thing for us. They're a voice to God's heart. So you want to know what his heart is, the depth of his soul, what he really thinks, what matters to God, because sometimes you need to know what matters to God, because some of the things that happen in this world, it looks like, and the prophets would say it sometimes, the psalmist would write about it, hey God, it looks like you don't care. It looks like you don't give a rip about me. And God, what's going down, going on down in paradise? Hey, God, why Malibu? Hey, God, so two weeks ago, one of my friends from, I went to a small little Christian high school. My graduating class, including me, was five people. The, the year behind us probably wasn't much more. One of my friends at 53 years old died a week and a half ago. All due is memorial service in December, and it breaks my heart. Why? God, he's fifty three, not a hundred and three. He's fifty-three. Why all the brokenness? Why all the hurt? God, why? You know what? Read his word. And then you gotta you gotta work through struggle and hurt. It's real. Read Lamentations. Read the Psalms. And also, you discover the heart of God. this We even read it earlier. Hey, God, and this is going on. What's going on? And God says, I'm patient because I want people to come home. He has a bigger story, a bigger plan that I don't always understand. But I got to work through, do I trust him or not? Will I run away from him every time something suffering happens? Or will I run to him? The God that I believe, what I read about, and his heart that I understand and know now. And I stand upon that. God, you said this. I'm sticking right there. I believe. I use this all the time with you guys. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Both. He's a voice to God's heart. It's a voice, the prophet is, a voice to God's pain, anger, and compassion. I just talked a little bit about that. God gets angry. God has compassion, and it says so much in Scripture, God feels pain. God feels hurt. They're a voice not only to that, but they're a voice to what is and what will be. I told you already that, listen, the prophets often speaking to what is immediate, not just what is going to happen someday. That's a glimpse in there. They probably talk more about Jesus, the one who would come, than anything else as far as the future is concerned. But so often they're talking about what is going on right now. Everything in God's word isn't for some future date. It applies to us right now. I've told you before, we're living in eternity. We're already living. This is not heaven, but we're already living with God. So I'm in it already. I long to be with him, and I long to as and where uh, He created life and intended it to be, but man. We're, we're in it right now. And it is relevant for today and future. They're often a voice to judgment and hope, of judgment and hope. So sometimes we're gonna read scripture and it is, it, it is condemning. Not in a way that I'm condemned and going to hell unless you don't follow Jesus. But you have a choice. It's your choice to believe it or not, to accept it or not, to receive it or not, but sometimes for me, I read God's word and it's convicting. And I like, I, I leave it and go, wow, I, I need to make a change. But it's also a voice of hope. Judgment, conviction without hope is death. Wow, that even changes how I operate. When I feel a judgmental spirit coming on, any racist attitude, it needs to be destroyed by God. It has no place in God's kingdom. So I'm judged when I read it and go, wow, look at what he said here. Look at how they acted. Look at what they were doing to the broken, to the hurting, to the homeless, to the child, to the women. Look at that. It convicts me. But then I also receive and need to give out hope. But it doesn't have to stay that way. And so they're a voice, the prophets are, to judgment, to hope. They're a voice, this is a biggie, that calls us out of religious activity and into relationship with God. So one of the great things that the prophets were doing was calling the people from religious activity, doing things that didn't really matter to God, but they thought it would please a God. So he calls them out of religious activity that wasn't serving God or following God. It it, it meant nothing to him and calling them into a relationship with God, their creator. So the prophet would come in and do that. And so it was very, going back to even think of my own disruptions, it was very disruptive to their life. When all of this happens, even today, it's very disruptive to me. It shakes me up, maybe. And with that then, there was also this voice of repentance. You need to repent, Ron, and come home. Hey, God, forgive me. And he does. And I run back to him, not away from him. So they're a voice of repentance. Now, these men and women were not just moral teachers, but uh, I I love this part of it. They were very creative, out of the box, filled with poetry. They had an artistic quality to them, and they were never just presenting another ideology. Uh, They would allow... They would not allow their message to be reduced to a formula. So a lot of times we want to take scripture, and one of the things I appreciate about the prophets is they didn't allow scripture to be just God's word to be reduced to a, a bullet point checklist. Now we are into that today. You have a piece of paper with fill it, you love it maybe now. We we hadn't done this for seven years. We're doing it now. And if I stopped in a month or so, you'd probably go, I am leaving this church. And I go, why? Because you stop doing the fill in the blanks. (laughs) Now we have been presenting why we're doing them, right? And if you it's funny, but if you're church people here, if you know what I mean, mm, there's a lot of truth to that, right? So the prophets allow relationship with God to turn into bullet points, check boxes. Now, those are good things. We are going to do that often. But if you only receive it that way, read it that way, live it that way, then you're missing out on something much grander and greater. Okay, so they're all creative. Some of you may remember. Let me just run through some of these people real quick. Do you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal building the altar, fire coming down, then Elijah running a prophet? He just conquered, like, through God's power. All these prophets died. He ran super fast. He did all this heroic stuff. And then uh, Jezebel, this woman, comes and says something mean about him, and he goes and hides in a cave and is depressed. If you, if you don't know that story, find it. It's awesome. He's one of the prophets of God. There's crazy stuff that goes on there. Ezekiel, one of the prophets that you'll read about, his whole prophetic book is, sometimes you're just like, I don't even know what's going on here. You need an interpreter. But one of the things he did, God had him do, was he laid on his left side for 390 days to symbolize the 390 years that Israel had sinned. Daniel, this one really bothers me. It's really tough. He stopped eating all this delicious food and became vegetarian. What? I mean, that's, a, that's tough right there. <laughs> Isaiah uh, wandered around Jerusalem naked for three years. Now, there's debate, was he fully naked or just had some underwear on? Does it really matter at that point? (laughs) For three years? And he showed, it was a a visual of showing, a really great visual of showing just the relationship with God and his people and the brokenness and sin and hurt. Jonah, various other prophets. Jeremiah, he, God told him to take his underwear go bury them after he wore them, and then he would, over a period of time, go get them and then show them to the king and say, this rotten underwear is basically what's going on in the kingdom. And then, we don't have time to read it this morning. There's many more crazy things. These out-of-the-box thinkers that God would impress through his Holy Spirit and they would disperse what God said and asked. He would. They would do what God asked them to do. For that time, please do not show up naked here next Sunday and or bring a pair of underwear or try to get me to be a vegetarian. All right. I. <laughs> but one of the incredible stories you should read it um, maybe this week is Hosea. Now, there's a lot to the story. But Hosea, one of the prophets, um, he married this woman. Basically, she was an adulteress and had an affair. And God said, do not abandon her. Go get her and bring her home. It was all this picture of how God was with his people, that he would not abandon his people even though they were adulterous to him. Even by what he called his kids' names, unloved and were pictures of God loving his people and being his people. It, it's just amazing. Hosea was a great book of a call to repentance. And we see all the, all these in some way. And all that we read about the prophets were pictures of Christ and the church. Jesus buying back us, from the depths of sin. So the prophets, when you read them, they'd use pictures and parables and metaphors and visuals. And they'd cause us, I was reading about this, they'd cause us to have like this 360 view of God. We often tend, like when we make bullet points and lists and we turn the word of God into that, it makes God kind of flatten out, if you know what I mean. Like it just seems like like, it's not real, and it's we miss out on the experience. And all of a sudden, it seems like God's just flattened out. It's just, here's the list. He's this, and that's it. And we read the scriptures that way, and your, our lives turn into that way. And suddenly, the prophets come in, and then we see later Jesus, and it gives us like this 360 view of God and how he feels and what he looks like and his anger and pain and compassion. And it's when they do some of these crazy things, it gives us a visual of how he operates. So when I go into Costco, do you guys like Costco? If you don't, or I, I guess it doesn't really matter. But the other day, this happens often. Um, I'm going to meet my wife. I go, I got to go to Costco. I told her I need to get some dog food and cat food. You know, otherwise they're going to be angry at us, and they can't feed themselves, this whole crazy thing, right? So you want to go to Costco, because when you go to Costco, you don't just buy one thing. You leave with 10 things, right? And and it costs a ton of money, and you wonder why, and whatever. Okay, so there's all that going on. Yes, I'll meet you there. We meet there. Um, At one point, she says, I'll be here at this time. I said, okay, listen, I'm going to be in the TV area, okay? Just be hanging out in the TV's. Why? Because the picture on some of these like 10K or whatever thing they call them is incredible. Have you stood there sometimes? I am in awe. Like Heidi, you will find me at that, the best TV in Costco just staring at it. That's all you, and it's true. Like I am amazed. There's a couple of those TVs, I wanna like, I want to go behind the TV and look and go, am I like inside this world that is going on here? They are awesome. I need one of those. (laughs) But they're also ungodly as far as the price, right? And in a year, they'll be down to like, you know, they'll drop thousands of dollars or whatever. But they are incredible. This 4K or whatever, I don't know. Sean probably knows all this stuff, but it's awesome. It feels like you're in it. In fact... I think sometimes the picture is better than what's going on in real life in the place. (laughs) And it, it gives you a visual and a view that's mesmerizing at times. The prophets invite us into that with God. Walk around, see and experience God. Whatever you determine it is, good, bad, and ugly. The prophets even don't let us hang out in just all the pretty parts. In the church, we tend to want to do that. I want to do that. Even preaching to you guys. Let's just hang out in all the fun parts. But it's not all that, is it? The prophets are one. Even Jesus does it when he comes. They give us a 360 view of God, the 4K, this ultra incredible picture of who God is and what he is like it's him in high resolution so here is the deal then to experience that even today well even after the 400 years of silence cuz the prophet's end and we said last week 400 years of silence god is not present in the tabernacle it's been destroyed Herod rebuilds it in the time of Jesus and he but god doesn't even go back in it again it's just an incredible building And 400 years of silence have happened. We need God sent him in high resolution in the form of Jesus. Something, someone that I can physically actually, well, could you imagine being one of the disciples? Touch, smell, experience, eat with, talk with experience life with, see what God is like through the life of Jesus, and I'm jumping to the end, but men, now, as the tabernacle temple of Christ, as a follower of him, what we talked about in scripture last week, we are to give people the 360, ultra-high-def vision of God. After 400 years of silence, and previously God using priests, kings, prophets, to connect and reconnect with his people, we realized they were not enough. So God shows us what we cannot do, and he sends Jesus to earth as the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And we see God for the first time in a lot of ways, in high definition. We need Jesus. Nothing else will do. Everything we read about up to this point points to him, Jesus is God on display, God in high def. And then real quick, and then I'll give you a few points to go. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He performed these three functions, these offices, in his earthly ministry. Kings. Kings were intended to live as examples, models of faithfulness to God's covenant, live out that commitment to God's covenant, show the people how to live with justice, mercy, compassion, and faith, even when enemies threatened their safety, and yet they were imperfect in it. Jesus, though, in flesh became king as he comes and upholds the faithful covenant of God, and he models for us what that is to look like. So we see him as the perfect king. Throughout the gospel, he's called the the king He uh, came to proclaim God's kingdom and establish it. And then we are to live that out in some way as his people. And we read about that in scriptures. He was the perfect priest. He was the one who offered sacrifices uh, or the sacrifice to God in order to cleanse sin. The priests were supposed to do that, and they did that, but it was imperfect. Jesus was the perfect priest. Not only did he offer sacrifices, he was the sacrifice for our sin. They were the voice of man to God. Jesus comes and he is the voice. Man to God. So Jesus offers himself as the true peace, priest. He's our mediator between God and ourselves our and man. As new covenant people, we are part of that royal priesthood the Bible teaches us. Through our union with him, this perfect high priest we are then to point people to the one who has taken care of their sin. That's part of our job. Prophets, as we talk today, represented God to man. Jesus did this when he came to do the will of the Father, to reveal the Father, to speak for the Father when he came to earth. Deuteronomy 18, 18, look at this. This is Moses way back, prophetic of Christ's coming when God had him say, I will rise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. That was Jesus. And you see this throughout scripture till he shows up on earth, giving us a visual of God, speaking from man to God, God to man, showing us what the covenant looked like, lived like, and is supposed to be expressed like. This prophecy, this same verse was quoted by Peter. Jesus fulfills this part of being a prophet, priest, and king. And then even now, until Christ's return, we are to live as representatives of God to man, man to God. We read this before. It's 2 Corinthians 5.20. You can look it up later on, maybe write it down, read it. It's awesome. It says we're Christ's ambassadors. Remember this last week? We've been given this message from God to man, come home, come back to God. We've been given this responsibility through the power of Jesus. So here's three things to leave you with today. You can take, then we'll do some communion. One, Jesus then, as prophet, priest, and king, and specifically today as prophet, Jesus should shape my faith. He should shape my faith. What I believe, he should shape that. If he is the one, and if he did all the prophets did perfectly, then he is the one that shapes me by what he said, did, how he lived, loved. Hebrews 11, 32 to 40, big chunk of scripture. How much do I need to say? The writer writes, it would take too long to recount the stories. This is about faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions, Daniel, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from, the, from death but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. you catch that? Some man got someone back from the dead. Others died. He shapes my faith in the midst of success, joy, and suffering. Jesus should shape this. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. My hope is something future because I'm not experiencing it right now. Some were jeered at, backs were cut open with whips, others chained in prison, some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, others were killed with the sword, some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good, wandering over deserts, mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation, why? Because of their faith. Jesus should shape my faith. These prophets, what they said, these priests, these kings, these people, the elements of Jesus coming out should shape my faith. I should have a bigger picture than just my immediate experience. Oh, Everything's working out good. My faith is strong. Oops, everything's kind of working out bad right now. My faith is weak, and I'm going to abandon God. We should be shaped by the faith of Jesus that says, and everyone that came before us, by living consistently and constantly with God, for God, Jesus should shape my faith. Read about Jesus if you wanna know how to operate in faith. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Just a, a massive, beautiful portion of scripture. Jesus should shape my faith. As we continue to talk about faith over the coming weeks and years, however long this church lasts and however long it takes for him to come back one day, Jesus should shape our faith. Not a good book, not a flattened out God, not bullet points. Those are all parts of it, sure. But Jesus should shape my faith, the 360 high resolution God that we experience and see. Jesus should shape my faith. Second, Jesus should change how I function. He shows me how I live We know this to be true, how I function in my faith. Jesus even used the prophets. He spoke about the prophets. He told people in faith and function, um, even right before he ended, he's walking in Luke with some uh, with some disciples that were discouraged because Jesus had died. They didn't recognize him at that moment because of their depression and hurt and brokenness. We all often miss God in the midst of all that suffering. Our faith becomes weak and our function we quit living for him. But Jesus, it says in there, as he's walking with them, he begins in the beginning like we're doing it, in the story of God. And it says, through all the scriptures and the prophets, he explains who he is. And suddenly their eyes were opened. Jesus should shape how I function, how I live. Matthew twenty or 5, 17 through 20. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So everything that is said has something for us today, but we gotta look at the deeper meaning, not just make it a practical list to obey. Jesus comes in, Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and shows us what the prophets actually meant, what the priests and kings and what God actually means and how to live our life. So if you wanna go to a place to go, Well, how do I learn about faith and function? How do I know how to live in faith? Go to Matthew 5, 6, 7. Read about it. Just there. Start there. Sermon on the Mount. And he'll go to the depth of what it looks like to live for him. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Till heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear, and its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment, teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law, teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a big, heavy, stinking statement there, isn't it? Heesh. Like, you could leave right now and go, I just feel horrible. I can never measure up. Well, good, because you need. And two, he says, better remember the prophets. And Jesus does it. He calls us out of religious activity and into a relationship with him. That's what he's talking about. We've turned into often the church leaders just teaching you how to do religious activity instead of a true relationship with God. Now, religious activity may have a part to play, but it is not the whole point. But I warn you, unless you're better than the Pharisees and religious leaders, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus should shape how I function, how I live, how I speak, how I act, how I preach, how I create. He shapes our present and future. So here's what I want you to think about to wrap up. Allow the word of God to prophetically shape your life. Now, when I say prophetically, instantly some of you might go to some future stuff, some prophecy of what's gonna happen. It's not what I'm talking about. As we read about the prophets and what they did, I want the word of God to shape my life that way. What do I mean by that? You could write some things down, something that speaks to you. Study God's word to know God's heart. What he's thinking, feeling, his pain, anger, and love. So I pray that God's word shapes your 360, your high resolution view of God. I want you to read God's word to get to know God. Don't even rely on what I say up here. Go back to his word. Sometimes even to make sure what I'm saying is right. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. You want to know Jesus? Get into the word of God. You don't know where to start? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four big old books, stories about Jesus. So I pray that the the word of God prophetically shapes your life. You want to know his heart? what he feels, his pain, anger, love, get to know him through his word. I pray that you allow the word of God to perfectly shape you by hearing the voice of judgment and hope. I pray that when each one of us reads the word of God, that we are convicted of sin. But we don't live in condemnation, we run to the one who took care of our sin, Jesus. So that in turn, you hear, and listen, if we're gonna live it out, we Call people out of sin. That's part of our message. Come home to God, though. We call them out of sin into relationship with God. We're, we're so good at calling people out of sin and judging them. We should be just as good of also giving the hope that Christ lived and professed. We should. That makes it easy to engage with people who don't follow God. Why? Because I want them to come home. I don't want them to stay where they're at. I don't just condemn you to hell because you don't believe what I do or because you're disobeying God's word in some way. I may say, listen, here's what God's word says. You pick and you choose. You know what I want, though? I want you to come home. Come to Jesus. He has an answer for that. Or keep trying. Come home, though. So I pray that when we read God's word, we hear conviction. We hear a little bit of, maybe there's judgment in there, but we also read in the hope of God that's given to us. That hope of glory. I pray that you allow the word of God to prophetically shape your life by disrupting your religious activity. It's a call out of that. I pray that we read it prophetically because it reminds us of his covenant, that it drives us to repentance. I pray that when we read it prophetically, we get a 360 view of God, high resolution of him. Something that sometimes goes, wow, you know what? I'm reading this and I gotta learn some more because I wanna get, I wanna look like all behind it and in it and I wanna experience God for who he is. I know it's crazy, there's a lot in the church world sometimes that we say, to go experience God, I need to go, this happens when I go to Israel, we need to go to Jerusalem to truly experience God. Pogwash, he's present with us right now. Baloney, I don't got I, I don't, God is doing miracles in other places that are amazing that I don't understand. He's doing stuff that I can't explain. I don't know, sometimes to discern, what it is, because some of it might be a little crazy and wacky, I don't know, is it God somehow doing something to get people's attention. It should be filled with hope of God, though, and all, you know, all this good stuff. There's so much there. But listen, if you're going to pull away from the Word of God because you think you need to experience Him s- separate from this, it's trouble. It's big trouble. You don't need to fly somewhere to experience God. You can experience him yourself. You may need help with it. You may need to lift up in some way because of the depth of your sin at the moment, but you can experience God through his word, prophetically speaking to your life. Worship team is gonna come. We're gonna take communion, sing a song, and then uh, Scott Randall's gonna come pray for us and uh, share with us, bless us to go. So here's the deal. If all this is true, and then we read last week and we are reminded this week that we are now, because of Jesus in us, the Bible says these things. We're an aroma, a display, we're on parade, words will be used like that. We are, it's scary to think, as followers of Christ, we are a high resolution picture of Jesus in the world. What I want, what I struggle with, and I am—I know I'm not even close to it many times, is when I walk, when, when you leave, well, right here now, but when we walk out these doors today and we go to a restaurant or you go to your home with your family or you go to the gas station or Starbucks or whatever you're going to do, do you know as a follower of Christ, the word proclaims to us that we are a 360 view of Jesus, because he lives in us. So, if that's true, we're not Jesus. (laughs) He is, but him in us, working through us, so people are seeing a high-resolution picture of God. Not the complete one. We're hopefully pointing them to the complete one, Jesus, but at least part of one. So when they walk around my life and look, I wonder if they see Jesus, even a little bit. And that's not to guilt us into something. You have to evaluate that for yourself. It's just to be honest about what his word says. So may it prophetically speak into our lives. If you'd stand with me. Maybe you can evaluate today through communion. I love communion. Communion is a prophetic way for us to proclaim Jesus now and future. So Jesus is proclaimed To the world, when we take it, when we take it for ourselves, we're looking around at God in a very full way where we're saying, Jesus came, this piece of bread, it's like a little, what a prophet would do almost. Take this bread, eat it, it's the body of Jesus. It's not his real body, but it symbolizes him. Take this cup, it's juice, but it represents his blood. That's some crazy stuff, but it's all there as a visual reminder, a hands-on, 360, high-res picture of what Christ has done for us. Jesus, thank you. You took care of my sin. I drink this juice. Jesus, you gave your body. I give mine back to you. I take it remember that today. This is, this is a beautiful, almost God's word, prophetically speaking into our life what he's done for us. So we take it, we celebrate, we sing in response to it. I love that. If you're here today and you'd like to take communion, it's available front, back, take it, eat, drink, pray. We're gonna sing a song while you're doing that. And remember what he's done for you. If you're here today and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, here's the simplicity of it. Okay? It's not a prayer. You could pray a prayer. Okay? But really, to get the full view, the full picture, is this. Take your life and just give it to Jesus. Hey, I've been doing it on my own. I've been trying to be my own priest, my own king. And my own prophet trying to do my own thing now in the future. And so, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's going to be a struggle. There's going to be suffering, ups and downs, and an amazing joy. And you join a bunch of people that are trying to do the same thing with you. The starting place is this. God, I give my life, all of it, to you. In Jesus' name, amen.